The Blokebusters Podcast is proud to be a member of the Podros Network. You can find us as well as other fine shows such as The Guy Huddle, Language of Bromance, and Dave's Nerd Compendium at podbros.com and on Twitter at Podros Network. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode of the Blokebusters Podcast. <laughs> Episode of Blokebusters. Uh, it's just me by my lonesome today. Uh, I had the very good fortune to interview a man by the name of Elliot Davini talking about and around his new film that's coming out. Well, I believe it just has come out called American Rescue Squad. And despite some audio issues that meant I had to do a bit of creative editing and I'm able to get this episode out to you so I hope you enjoy and we hope to have this guy back very soon so from here on in the pretty much unedited interview between myself and Mr. Davini. All right well I am here with Elliot Davini. how are you doing? I'm doing very well how about yourself? Uh, I'm alright. I'm okay. I heard you didn't get. A, I heard you didn't sleep well last night. Uh, did not. But uh, well, I'm powering through. Was that because Was that because you were watching my movie? Uh, no. Okay. No, it was not. Uh, okay. Yes. Yeah, so not. Not. Nothing against your film at all. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's. What, I, I always love to hear that when uh, people have a sleepless night because of watching my movie. You know, there's a lot of power in that. Very true. <laughs> yeah. Um. So, for those people that don't know yet, could you give us a brief synopsis of the film? So, the story revolves around this superhero named the Taxpayer, who doesn't really have any superpowers, but the government calls upon him to solve all of their problems, and so he's sort of overworked and beaten and bloody and just wants a day off. Uh, But there's this evil group called the Alliance, which uh, consists of an evil politician... There's a freeloader, an illegal immigrant, kind of a lot of stereotypes about society, and they they kidnap the taxpayer with the plans of crucifying him in, in front of a, a big crowd because everybody just despises the taxpayer. And so the mayor is left without options, and he is forced to try and find retired superheroes from the 80s known as common sense, uh, personal responsibility, and birth control. And they've all sort of given up... Uh, Society has given up on them, so they've they've seeked refuge in the in the hills, and so the the mayor has to track them down and put them into into action, and they all together try and rescue the taxpayer from this evil alliance. It's almost as if you're trying to get a message across, or something. <laughs> yeah, you could say that. Um, the, the whole idea is that we could kind of have two different movies going on at the same time. One is this story about good guys fighting bad guys and superheroes, but there's this other sort of subtext that uh, we can't rely on the taxpayer, which are meant to be taken, uh, you know, out of context as well as sort of a little jab at politics. So we, we have all of these character names so that the dialogue, so that, you know, specific lines in the dialogue can sort of be jabs at government or society. Yeah, I, 
when I was watching it, it was uh, every now and again there would just be another thing that would pop up and be like, okay, I see what he's going for this time. Yeah, and and uh, it's, you know, a movie meant to have on at a party while everyone's drunk. Um, but uh, some people are taking it seriously. I think it's just because uh, everybody is so uh, sensitive to politics, and there are certain issues we're not supposed to talk about and not supposed to laugh at. And this movie is sort of a pushback against that. It's sort of an assault on political correctness. Yeah, that's really cool. You don't see that too often nowadays. Um, now, I need to ask, what was your reasoning behind turning this into a musical comedy? Like, So I, have a, I had a band in college called The Midwest Connection, and nobody listened to it ever, and they shouldn't have. It was a terrible band, but I found that uh, my strength lies in the area where film and music crosses over. That's sort of where I belong, I think, because I'm, I'm kind of comfortable in both worlds, but not really uh, totally comfortable alone in either world. So I like to have film and music together, because it seems like that's a good fit for me. All right. well, yeah, that's, uh, that's nice to see someone being able to men- blend together two things that they really like, because I, I think it comes off when you're watching it. You can see that you're equally having fun with the script and then also with the the songwriting. So. Yeah, and and I think in the future, we're, uh, you know, like I said, we didn't intend for this, for people to take this movie seriously. And, and politics was something we, we jumped into because the, we did this three years ago. And so we were looking for any sorts of help we could get in the marketing department. And we thought superheroes and politics would be a good way just to maybe catch some people uh, and get some people interested that otherwise wouldn't be. Oh, cool. Now, uh, let's see. one thing I had written down here was uh, I really like the the way that you can take the title of this film in two different ways. Sure. Because obviously there's uh, the American Rescue Squad, as in this is a rescue squad for America. So Yes, yes. Um, <laughs> there's a lot so of fun seeing a, that. A, a funny story with that, the movie was originally called Problem Solving the Republic. And we had a different poster and, and uh, different artwork. And we got it to a distributor, and they didn't like that, and they wanted us to pick an A title so that people browsing alphabetically could find us. And so we came up with this big, long list of A titles, and American Rescue Squad just sort of turned out to be everyone's favorite. But I think, in hindsight, it, it's, it's a good fit, because I think you're right. It, it can work a couple of different ways. It was an interesting thing when I started the film and I actually started thinking about the the title of it. I was like, oh, that's, that's kind of cool that it was uh, it, it can be taken two ways and as you're watching the film the message definitely could be either one so. Yeah, well that, that was it was kind of tricky because on the one hand, the, you know, there's a lot of things about America that uh, my brother and I love. We wrote America and free speech and uh, everything that we love about capitalism while also uh, you know, complaining and, and taking shots at everything that, that we don't like about America and society. Because it's, it's, I mean, on paper, it, it's a really good idea. And if you look at the Founding Fathers and the Constitution and the Bill of Rights, all of that is uh, really impressive. But too much time has passed, and now it seems like everything is, is corrupt and government is too big, and we're in a lot of trouble. Yeah. So... Did you have any trouble getting the script for this film out at all? 
So, uh, I mean, because it was such a small independent film, I wrote it, the script with my brother Adam over one weekend uh, in the summer of 2011. We had been uh, emailing back and forth just about different gags, like, oh, what if we had a superhero called Common Sense? And then what if there was a musical number about welfare? Just all of these little jokes to try and make each other laugh at work. And then uh, we sort of compiled all those and realized that we had enough for a movie. And uh, we just threw it all together uh, that weekend in, in, in descript form. And we just started uh, shooting in early 2012. We didn't really have to ask anybody. The financing all came from uh, either loans from my parents or credit cards. And so there was we didn't have to pitch to anybody. We just uh, we assembled the crew and started that's one of the, the true benefits, I think, of independent film is that you don't need to ask permission and you can make whatever movie you want to. And for better or worse, you know, this is the movie we intended to make. Yeah, very Kevin Smith-esque. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, I imagine Kevin Smith was one of your inspirations behind doing these films and getting into this uh, yeah. area of film. Yes, the whole thing started watching uh, Evening with Kevin Smith, where he just very candidly talks about his experience making movies. Uh, I remember one student asked him what would have happened if Clerks didn't make its money back, and he was left with that $28,000 in credit card debt. And he said, well, I probably would have continued working at the convenience store, and you know, years down the road I would have got all my friends together, got really fucking drunk, and then watched the movie and say, look at this, this is the worst mistake of my life. Yeah, <laughs> I remember that hearing that answer. I knew that the worst thing to happen uh, making a film is that it fails and you can watch it for the rest of your life. And so he he sort of gave me the courage in the beginning to uh, just jump in and, and figure it out. And uh, he sort of been very helpful along the way and sort of uh, bailed me out a couple of times uh, intellectually with other Q&As like uh, recently he had one about how he doesn't listen to critics anymore. Yeah, I, I'd imagine that a lot of people in his position, if you start listening to critics, then you're going to start changing the way you do things. And that's yeah, early on, on this movie, I would just really beat myself up over a bad review or somebody that didn't like it or somebody that didn't get it. But uh, Kevin Smith, in one of his answers, ex explains that this is an art form and it's self-expression and you can't really fail at that. You know, it's not a... It's not, there's not a right or wrong. There's not winning and losing. It's art. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's one of those things that I know a lot of people don't fully get, especially people that aren't that into film. It's like they don't see it as art. They just see it as the same thing as yeah. you know, Saturday morning cartoons are exactly the same as a Studio Ghibli film. It's like, right. Not really. <laughs> yeah. A bit yeah. more to it than that. Exactly, yeah. It's way more intricate than you, than you would ever think. Um but it's so great that I sort of, we, I grew up with YouTube when I was getting into filmmaking and able to look up interviews from all of the people that I admired. Uh, so Kevin Smith and Robert Rodriguez and Trey and Matt and Rich, Richard Linklater and all of those folks are very candid and open about their experiences and very encouraging to young people. And so you really, do, you can find interviews online, your favorite filmmakers and drawing inspiration from them. Yeah, I mean, I... I know that I probably wouldn't be doing podcasting if it wasn't for listening to other people doing it and then listening to other people talking about starting up because it's just something that 
you might always think, oh, you know, that that could be fun, but until yeah. you actually then look into it and then just start, like, yeah, yeah, you're I... always going to be dragging your heels a bit. All right, so uh, obviously you guys seem to have a lot of fun making the film, uh, but one question that I always love hearing the answer to: What was the most difficult day on this film? Uh, that's an easy one. There, uh, we were doing four day weekends um, throughout the month of. I think March in 2012. So right. Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. On the, uh, I think it was the the fourth and final weekend. All of our camera gear got stolen Thursday night out of the Ooh. camera guy's car. So twenty thousand dollars worth of lenses and cameras. And so we uh, still had three more days of shooting, and everything was scheduled. We had all our locations and all our actors. Um, but we sort of had to scramble and find new cameras and keep going. And we were already just really beat up from a hard schedule. And we were sort of racing through production. But I think it's sort of, we made it work. And it's one of those examples of what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And I think it, we all sort of bonded together after that moment. You know, there's like, there's sort of that sink or swim moment where it's like, well, what do we do? Do we call off the production? You know, we're 75% of the way through. We're almost done. Um, and we, we found another camera and just kept going. And I think it was a real, it was a real uh, learning experience for all of us. Yeah, wow. That, uh, that sucks. Yeah, yes. <laughs> yeah. It, there's, there was a film called Food Fight ages ago where halfway through their production, the entire hard drive got stolen. Oh, so, so no. yeah, they had to start again from scratch. Although apparently it didn't, it was an animated film, and they didn't steal the hard drive which had the voice actors on it. Oh, okay. They just stole the hard drive that had all of the animation work done. On oh, it, so. that's, that's terrible. Um, it, it it happened to me on an earlier movie. There was a series of of films that uh, my brother Adam and I made here in our parents' basement called Pong Wars. It was just a series of short films about ping pong with different kind of Star Wars and Matrix parodies built in, all sorts of special effects, whatnot. And we had this whole feature film, a Pong Wars movie, that we had shot about half of it on mini-DV and then, uh, you know, had people coming in from Germany, uh, exchange students and all of our friends, all these costumes, and then figured out that all of the DV tapes were distorted. And oh. so we just had to, we scrapped it and we just started over with a new project. And so even though on this one, that all our stuff, all our gear was stolen, the footage was okay. And so I think that because of that, we were, we were able to keep moving forward. But yeah, if the footage had been gone, uh, I might not be standing here today. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's a good thing that the footage was not gone then. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I mean, it's like the making an independent film is the hardest thing that anybody can do. And then, you know, trying to do that while you're, all your shit's getting stolen. is just like, that's the biggest kick in the nuts there is. Yeah, I can't imagine. I also want to know, like, how do people know that that stuff is in there and that they yeah, get it? So like, we were in Minneapolis um, uh, filming all day the, the big fight scene with birth control, and then we sort of uh, parted ways at the end of the day, and some of the group went out for a beer, including the camera guy. And we think maybe somebody saw us loading the stuff at the one location and, like, followed them over to the bar. It was in Uptown. Ah. Um, or, I don't know, it's like uh, maybe some sort of an inside job or maybe it was, like, a, a rival filmmaker or maybe, uh, <laughs> like, a religious group that had got a hold of the script. Who knows? Um, yeah. 
And then it was like, we uh, were big fans of, of Jackass and how they're always uh, uh, pranking each other on set and, and playing jokes and things like that. And we thought this was a joke when we first heard it because one of our guys called us and said, all, of, all the gear got stolen. And we're like, no way, you're, you're pranking us. That's a joke. And so it took a good, I think, probably 15 minutes or a half hour before we came to terms with the fact that it had really happened. Wow, yeah, I mean, that that's what you're basically saying. Well, there's one credit card gone, on to the next. Yeah, 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 well, that's the thing. It's like, you know, once you're in a bunch of debt, it's like, what's the difference? <laughs> let's just let's just tack another zero onto the end of that. It'll be fine. Yeah, I, I guess once you reach the point where it's like, well, I don't know how I'm paying this bit back. Yeah, get more. yes. I mean, and, and that was the nice thing is my, my parents were sort of there uh, to, to back me up. And uh, like I said, the only fi- – it was all – financed by either Visa or Divinis, and so there weren't uh, too many people that we had to go and apologize to. Wow. <laughs> so, uh, coming off this film just a little bit then, so what, what would you say are like your top two or three films that have inspired you in filmmaking? Yeah, um, uh, The Matrix was is my favorite movie and that's i remember seeing that in 99 and and wanting to become a filmmaker i had sort of been doing it in my parents basement uh with my brother and with friends just making little movies and things but when i saw the matrix i knew i wanted to to be more involved in movies and try and become a director because that sitting in the theater watching the matrix was such a a vivid rich new experience that i didn't know was possible in the theater and then, of course, actually, The Matrix is what really pushed DVDs as well, because everyone wants yeah. all those special features. Yeah, um, absolutely. And I, I was I was the first in line to get that Matrix DVD. <laughs> um, the other two, uh, I would say Indiana Jones and Back to the Future. Um, okay. I think I really like those kinds of 80s fun uh, blockbuster summer adventure movies that... Um, yeah, they're, they they don't take themselves too seriously. They're not too dark. They're a lot of fun, a lot of good action. Um, they're just great movies, and we don't really, I don't think we get that anymore. Everything now is is really moody and emotional and dark, and those films were more kind of innocent and lighthearted, and especially as a kid, they were fun to, to get into. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think uh, Back to the Future is my favorite uh film from the 80s like yeah that time period that I and mean, the whole trilogy i enjoy yeah i mean one of the things i do like to do is slightly pick apart how some of the things work in it right but, uh, no, it... That, that's all part of enjoying film in my exactly book. Yeah. <laughs> yeah i think you're encouraged to do that yeah it's uh, it's always one of those things of when i'm watching a film my mind is always kind of going i i've reached a point where i can sit down and watch a film and if it's close enough to your standard Hollywood film, I know how it's going to go. Yes. Which actually was one thing I enjoyed about this film. Is I I mean, I, f- I figured that uh, when you get towards the end, there might be a, you know, a nice resolution and all yep. that, but I, yeah. I didn't know how it yes. was going to end. So That's it was, good. That's it was good. fun. And yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of a sucker for a happy ending. Um, I think we all have enough troubles in our lives that movies are are most important to kind of pick a pick us back up and encourage us and leave us smiling at the end of the movie um you know a lot of movies don't a lot of movies you leave the theater really depressed and kind of heartbroken um so it was important to me to have a happy ending to this thing after all that we had sort of put the audience through so you didn't quite want to make it into a seven then 
No, no. I, I mean, maybe maybe there's another movie for that somewhere down the line, but I, it wasn't this one. Yeah, they, 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 we could have just gone through with the taxpayer execution and called it a day, and that would have been really interesting. But uh, I, need, I needed to have my happy ending. <laughs> well, maybe next time you could, you could have that and then do some sort of deus ex machina where it turns out that that wasn't what happened. And Yeah. <laughs> so well, that's the... Um, uh, back to Kevin Smith, I'm writing a bunch of new scripts now that I'm hoping to sell or hoping to make, and they're all sort of intertwined in the same world, you know, much the way that Tarantino's um, world or Kevin Smith's world, uh, they, they interchange characters and um, storylines. And so, so it's possible. Your own, your own viewers' universe. Exactly. And in this world, um, you know, I'm sure time travel is possible, and I'm sure there are aliens and sci-fi and all sorts of things, clones, you know, uh, and any number of ways to, to go back and sort of rewrite the history of the movie. All right. Okay. Well, that'll be uh, that'll be interesting to to see where you get to go with that. Yeah, excited. So, what would you say is your favorite part of the film, or is there a scene, or even just a little a line or something that is your favorite part? Yeah, I I think the part that makes me laugh the hardest is when um, they're the heroes are all having their meeting, trying to figure out how to go into the final act and. Uh, Mrs. Responsibility, uh, the mothers of one of the superheroes, comes in and sort of just acts like a typical mother. Um, and that I, I really like that part because it's not taking any jabs. It's not taking a political stance. It's just a very kind of harmless, universal joke about you're never too old uh, to escape your mother's wrath. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, and, she, uh, and that character was very much inspired by our mother, who was kind of always telling us, you know, don't leave without a scarf or, you know, don't drink before you go swimming, all these kind of warnings. Um, and so uh, I, I, that part always really makes me laugh because it's this really, this really tough and strong superhero that kind of gets cut down to size by his mother. Yeah, and the, uh, I think the line from that I liked as well was that um, even though he is you know, Mr. Personal Responsibility, he still can't clean up his own room. <laughs> right he's still got a messy room but it's funny that um we we take a lot of flack for this movie being racist against black people when the two most responsible uh ethical people in the movie are black so it's like it's weird that uh it on these very sensitive issues people just like have an immediate reaction when they hear a joke or they see something and uh Part of that with this movie was kind of having fun with that. You know, it's like once the knife's in, we like to twist it a little bit. Well, that, that and you, so you're having trouble with people saying the film is racist when part of the joke in the film is that to be politically correct, the government needed a black agent. Yeah, yeah. I, I I'm not sure I, I get that. I think people just don't see the joke. Yeah, right, right, right. That, I think that's exactly right. Um and 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 part of it again, it comes. It's it's. This is our expression. This is what politics looks like to us. And so, if people don't get it or don't like it or don't understand it, that's okay. Yeah, not everyone is going to enjoy this film. I I know a couple of people that don't really like meta yeah. humor, so yeah. this film would not be for them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, and this is like this is like over the top meta. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, which is uh, is always fun, and it does need to be done if you're going to go over the top meta then it needs to not take itself seriously at all. Which is Absolutely, yeah. Did. And I think, uh, I think um, 
like I heard in in '86 when Ferris Bueller came out and he started talking to the audience, that was really jarring um, back then. But now I think movie audiences are so sophisticated and so in tune with movies and the connection with the audience that you you can really throw anything at them in terms of the fourth wall. Yeah, yeah. I, I was like one of my favorite examples of fourth wall breaking is actually from the the House of Cards. Oh show, yes, with Kevin yes. Spacey. Yes, that's an amazing show. <laughs> yeah, I, um, I really, I've always enjoyed meta humor. Um, I don't know if it comes from my love of Monty Python. Yes, um, probably. But, but yeah, anything that's meta, as long as it's done well, anything yes. that's meta is uh, is always fine by me. And like you said, it can't take itself too seriously. No, I mean, I, I prefer it if no one took themselves too seriously. But yeah, right. <laughs> And but that's and, not going to happen. I, I think that's sort of the that is the the main idea behind this movie is hey everyone in politics stop taking yourselves so seriously. <laughs> you know that's the message of this movie. It's like hey just chill out, yeah. have a laugh. <laughs> yeah, I did. Uh, I did figure that you guys probably wrote this before 2012, given that the guy is running for office in 2012. So yes, yeah. But it, it all uh, it, it all sort of works out because the the next election cycle is just around the corner, and they're arguing about all the same shit. And we're now getting a billion dollar Vikings stadium paid for by the taxpayers. So there's a huh. movie with the the Vikings owner, you know, beating up the taxpayer about a, a building him a stadium. So many many things in the movie are still relevant three years later. It's great. Yeah. That's- that's really nice timing. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, that's sort of an example how how nothing ever changes in politics. It's just the same, you know, the same debate over and over and over again. We never really solve anything. Yeah. So, as you were saying, there, nothing ever really changes. When I was watching the film and the guy was standing up and giving his speech, and yep. it, I was thinking, hmm... So, did you decide to go back and watch speeches for the last 50 years, or did you go on the assumption, which is 100% true, that <laughs> every politician gives the exact same speech aimed at their audience? Yeah, I, I think part of, the, part of it was we were writing the script in one weekend, and so Adam and I, for two or three days, were, were in, the, uh, it, in the office at our parents' house, just taking turns on the, on the keyboard. So, we would, he would write a scene, and then he would sit back and have a beer and I would write a scene and part of it was we were just uh, rushed on that deadline and so I think it came time to write Pansy's speech and and I just raced through it um, but it came very naturally because like you said it's it's sort of the same as every other politician speech ever you know you just put in these little sort of talking points and an occasional God bless America and you're good to go yeah it's, it's interesting because um, I mean, yeah a it's difficult to have a jab at the speeches by writing them because either it looks like you're parodying the latest politician yes. because they're all so similar, or it looks like you're genuinely trying to write the script when you're just making fun of it. Yeah. But, and also, I guess what would be telling, um, given obviously South Park, big draw for you guys, they did the episode when either Obama was going to be elected yes. or the other guy. Yes. And they wrote the exact same speech for both. And it was oh, just, I didn't know that. That's funny. Yeah, they, I think they, they wrote the exact same speech for both and then they were going to change like two words. <laughs> and then whoever won, I think their episode was up the next day, they just played yeah. that clip. And 
it turned out that the speech that Obama gave was almost word for word what he gave in the show. Oh, wow. <laughs> it, it's really difficult to write a silly script that yes. isn't true in some way. <laughs> yes. But so. yeah, it's, uh, and we wanted to we wanted to also show the sort of dumb mob mentality. So the in this guy's speech, he sort of gets them riled up and gets them cheering and booing for different things and it, it sort of seems like that's what happens when you get a political rally. You get a bunch of like-minded people together and then the person next to them starts cheering, they start cheering too. It's like a standing ovation. Yeah. It is, it is really difficult when it comes to giant crowds and that. Yeah, I don't. I always think that politicians should almost just do it on TV with no audience, right? Because then it's just the people sitting at home by themselves that make the decision, rather than everyone in a giant group doing it. So. Yeah, and, uh, and, and it seems like a problem that now it it really just the guy that wins is the one that looks. Uh, more calm and collected on TV when they're in a debate or talking. You know, we sort of just pick this most suave, best-looking, best-talking person, and the the politics sort of take a, a back seat to what he's wearing and what he looks like and how long he thinks to before he answers the questions. Um, so everyone is so, I think, in tune and focused on what they see that no one's really listening to what they hear. All right, well, the perfect example of that, I can't remember which president it is, because not growing up in America, I don't know yeah. the president very well, uh, but Eddie Izzard points out that there was a president that went to Berlin, stood up on a podium talking to the people, and then he goes, Ich bin ein Berliner, yes. and the yeah. crowd goes mental, and then Eddie Izzard <laughs> pointed out that Berliner is a brand of donut, <laughs> so he actually stood up and said, I am a donut. I, I, believe, that, I believe that was JFK, and I believe it got its own Simpsons parody. Probably, yeah. It's been Ein Springfield. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's always really interesting to see that people are so swayed by how things look and how yeah. confident people are rather than the actual message. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, and and we uh, that's all, I think, sort of uh, just ingrained in, in, into us. We're like the animals. We like to have a pack leader. We like to follow. We like to have somebody in charge that we believe in and that we think is cool and confident and collected and um that politics sort of pl plays on that primal part of your brain that wants to be a part of the group yes. just like sports teams you know <laughs> all right well if uh, if you had one message that you wanted to leave with people either before they saw the film or you want them to leave with afterwards uh what would it be there was one re one really good review we got that said, uh, "Leave your political viewpoints at the door, and you'll have a great you'll have a great time." Uh, and I think that's if I could be there to introduce this movie to everybody that watches it, that's what I would say. And that's kind of what we were trying to do. By we have a little um, uh, tip of the hat to Trey and Matt at the beginning of the film, hoping that people would see that and and. Uh, sort of change their expectations a little bit going into the movie. You know, you have to kind of lower your inhibitions to enjoy this movie because it, uh, I think you're almost guaranteed to be offended at one point or another. But, uh, <laughs> the, you know, my brother Adam and I, we don't get offended. Um, it's like we don't, we don't belong to any groups. We don't, uh, we're not sacred to, to, there's nothing sacred that we have to um, stay true to and so this was really a fun uh, exploration and so uh, the message is, is just sit back and laugh and uh, realize how ridiculous the whole political system is 
Yep, that's a fairly good message. I'm, I'm on board with that one. <laughs> and, and if I can take it one step further, it's okay to have your own viewpoints. You don't have to fall in line with a political party. You know, it's okay to make up your mind and take every issue and just think about it. I think that's a big problem that everyone has some religion or some group or some party that they're uh, taking orders from or that they've um, associated themselves with, and then they just blindly follow those uh mandates and decisions but uh my i just encourage everyone to think you know question yeah well uh, you might have just alienated a whole bunch of people there but okay, yeah, good I, idea. yeah. <laughs> all right well uh, well thank you very much for agreeing to this uh, yes sorry. yeah and, and it's yeah i'm not saying you can't be part of a group or have a religion but i uh, i it's okay to question those ideas that's that's part of being a human being yeah and and i do think that that's a large part of what films like these are for as well the idea just to make you think and yeah. make sure that your beliefs are yeah true and to it's you like, it's like uh we're we're independent filmmakers the the dialogue between the filmmaker and the audience is one is a very delicate one and one that takes sort of a long time to figure out and i think we're sort of uh, very early in our career and we're 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 still trying to to master that that dialogue with the audience and this was just sort of a stepping stone in the right direction i think all right well thank you very much for agreeing to do this <laughs> oh thank you for having me this was a blast i wish we could go longer me too uh, <laughs> i'll tell you what uh well, you when you get some sleep yes yes uh, yeah. maybe i'll go have a nap i don't know <laughs> yeah there you go there you go well I'll tell you what when your next film comes out you need to come back yeah absolutely I would love to. Like I said, I got a bunch of scripts written and ready to go. I'm just kind of waiting to see who's going to finance the next one because I'm not doing it anymore. (laughs) Are you sure? You don't want to go even further down the rabbit hole? uh, There's no more room in my wallet for credit cards. Uh, (laughs) Completely stuffed. It won't even fit in my back pocket anymore. Ah, that's that's the show. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you very much. Yes. Oh, thanks for having me. 